Good morning, Eastside family. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Leviticus chapter 8. We're going to let our children ages 3 through 9. 3, <laughs> no, you 9-year-olds get to stay. 3 through 3rd grade, whatever that means. 3 through 3rd grade, go to junior worship. If you're new and you've got some kids here, just head in that direction. And so Peggy Jones is here today. So glad to have you, Peggy. And sitting behind her are my next-door neighbors, Ruslan and Eric. So you guys, please behave today, okay? So I brag on you all a lot. And then Ryan has his official cheering section over here. His family is over here. You guys can yell out and scream all you want while he's preaching. Leviticus chapter 8. So we're in a mini-series, and we're tackling a, a neglected book in the Bible. It definitely is. And... Though it's neglected, it's incredibly rich in meaning and application. The thing is, as I've talked to you before, you got to dig, you got to work to mine the treasures that are in this particular book. Now, one of the things I want you to notice is, is no, go back, go back, go back, stay right there. The main message, and this really helps to understand this book, the main message of Leviticus that helps everything else make sense, this is God's way of taking holy people Unholy people. Now let me let me let me stick with my notes here. The main message of, of Leviticus is God making a way for us, unholy people, to enter into and live in his holy presence through making him making us holy. That's God's main message. Now the way, and leave the screen up here, the way that God does this is he divides it up in Leviticus into four major themes, all with that one theme in mind. And these themes are, are subdivided into two sections on each end, kind of like bookending the book. And so we looked at rituals on the, on the second two sections, on the first section and the last section. And today we're going to be looking at priests in the um, in the two sections of the book that, that are working their way inwards. I think that picture is going to help you. We're working our way towards the center, which is the core there in, in, in Leviticus chapter 16 and 17. Ryan's job is to take us into the text and answer two questions. Well, what in the world is this saying? Secondly, his job is to answer the question, well, what does this mean? And then it will be my job to say, well, so what? What does this mean for us? And I want, to, I want to remind you of this. It's really important. Take your bulletins and be sure and look at the, um, the reading guide that we have given you. I want you to be reading along. If you stay with us through this whole series, you would have read through the whole book of Leviticus following us as we teach on and on Sundays. So let's get started looking at this theme of the priest. All right. So, if the, um, okay. That's not a priest. Um, do we have the appropriate slide? That's actually, go back, no, go back, just a minute. <laughs> Do y'all see who that is? That is Ryan there, dressed up as high priest, and you recognize a sweet girl over there to the right. That's his wife. Did you do this? All right, anyway, we have the appropriate She slide. didn't know he was going to be showing that picture. <laughs> All right. If this book didn't already seem out of reach to you guys, these sections and chapters... Eight through ten and twenty-one and twenty-two on priests may seem a bit further yet. Why do we need these priest laws? I really hope as we continue through these lessons, it will come closer and into better focus. But here, even if this book was still a hundred percent applicable to our lives, in the sense that this is how we, the people of God, achieve atonement, we're not priests. Not in the way that we're all 
that we would all be called to wear the tunic and be girded with the sash and be clothed with the robe and wear the ephod and the artistic band of the ephod and the breast piece and the urim and the thummim and the turban and the gold plate as the Lord commanded Moses. And Eddie will be touching on the idea of us being priests later, but for now, there are still some things to be learned here today, even for us. We can still see some interesting things about our God and his holiness. So let's get started in chapter 8, where Aaron and his sons are consecrated. Here we see Moses, Aaron, his sons, and all the congregation of Israel gathered outside the tent of meetings. Moses washes Aaron and his sons and dresses them in the appropriate priestly attire. He anoints the tabernacle and all that's in it and performs the appropriate ritual sacrifices. Then Aaron and his sons stayed inside the tent of meetings for seven days until the period of their ordination was complete. Then on the eighth day in chapter 9, Aaron and his sons' uh, consecration was complete. And Moses tells Aaron and his sons and the people of Israel to make certain preparations to prepare various sacrifices and offerings because chapter 9 verse 6 Moses said this is the thing which the Lord had commanded you to do that the glory of the Lord may appear to you so there they all are Moses Aaron his sons the people of Israel they got some grain they got a bunch of animals a cute little goat a ram a calf a little ox the animals are looking at the people. The people are looking at the animals. And the animals are all looking at each other thinking, wait a minute. What's that guy doing with the knife? The calf and the bull and the goat are sacrificed and offered. And the grain offering is given. And the ox and the ram are offered. And all the appropriate pieces are washed and blood sprinkled and poured out. Now in chapter 9, 22 through 24. Then Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meetings. When they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to the people. And then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. What I find really interesting and amazing about this verse is that this is not the first or second time that these people have witnessed the glory of the Lord. And still they scream when it's revealed to them. Now, I don't know what the glory of the Lord looked like. I'm sure that fire shooting out of a tent and consuming a pile of animal parts is no boring affair. But honestly, I don't know how many times someone would have to see something like that and not be amazed or frightened. So last week we spent some time talking about the story of a man who blasphemed God and was stoned to death. A story amid a bunch of instructions. Now up to this point, chapter 8 and 9 are kind of stories, but they're more accounts of priestly rituals being performed. And at the beginning and end of chapter 10 are two more stories that I want to get into and take a closer look at. Two stories with similar themes, but two very different endings. So first up is the story of Nadab and Abihu, or as the header in my Bible reads, the sin of Nadab and Abihu. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And I think there's one of the important parts here, what he had not commanded. Continuing verse 2 and 3. 
And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. And check that out. There's one of our points from last week. And before all the people, I will be honored. See, reading this, I always wondered what exactly they did. What strange fire did they offer that so offended God? But the more time went on and the more people I spoke to about this passage, I began to see that maybe it ain't the fire in their pans that God didn't like. Maybe it's what was in their hearts. Maybe when we read this story, we can see that God knows our hearts. In all of our actions, it's not necessarily how or what we physically do. Rather, it's the state of our hearts when we do them. Then Mishael and Elzaphon, Aaron's cousins, were instructed to take Nadab and Abihu's bodies outside the camp. And Aaron and his surviving sons received more priestly instructions from Moses. And here's our second story. As another problem arises from among the priests... Chapter 10, 16 through 17. But Moses searched carefully for the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it had been burnt up. So he was angry with Aaron and his surviving sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, saying, Why did you not eat the sin offering at the holy place? For it is most holy. And he gave it to you to bear away the guilt of the congregation, to make atonement with them before the Lord. What are you doing, Moses says? Do you not... Remember, I just had your brothers and your sons assumedly charred bodies dragged outside of camp? See, I imagine Moses knows that he can't be around forever. And he would really like for his people to function under these guidelines without him. But we're something like less than two weeks into the priestly ministry, and already two of Aaron's sons were consumed by fire, and now this not exactly off to a good start. So let's pick up verse 18 through 20. Behold, since its blood had, had not been brought inside the sanctuary, you should certainly have eaten it in the sanctuary, just as I commanded. But Aaron spoke to Moses. Behold, this very day they present their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. When things like this happen to me, if I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been good in the sight of the Lord? When Moses heard that, it seemed good in his sight. So we can read the sin of Nadab and Abihu and see that not only does God know our hearts, but also God is incorruptible. When I studied this story, much like my study of the incident with Nadab and Abihu, I got really caught up in the details of this incident. Why exactly did the priests deviate from the exact letter of the law? And why exactly was their deviation accepted, but not Nadab and Abihu's? I have my theories. I think we can see here that there is some malleability to these laws and some interpretation allowed on the part of the priests. But a comparison of these two incidents at the beginning and end of chapter 10 revealed to me that the Lord our God is incorruptible, but not unreasonable. See, the way I saw it, Aaron, Eleazar, and Ithamar broke the commands just like Nadab and Abihu. But wait. No. They didn't. Not just like 
Nadab and Abihu. There must have been a good reason. A pure heart behind their deviation. I believe that. And I think Moses saw that. And I think God saw that. So now we're going to move into the second section on priests, chapter 21 and 22. And here are really just a bunch of rules and qualifications for the priests. In chapter 21, we see things like priests are not to touch dead people. They are not to defile themselves for a dead person, except for their close relatives. They are not to make bald spots on their head or trim their beards. They couldn't marry harlots or divorce women. The priestly laws in some cases extended to their families as well. For example, chapter 21, verse 9. Also the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself with harlotry, she profanes her father, and she shall be burned with fire. High priests were forbidden to uncover their heads or tear their clothes, which was a sign of mourning. Moses tells this to Aaron back in chapter 10 after his sons died. Nor were they allowed to touch any dead body. We see that back in chapter 10 as well. High priests were only to marry virgins of their own people. Also, men with defects, blind or lame with physical deformities, including but not limited to dwarfism, hunchback, or crushed testicles, were not allowed to approach to offer the food of his God. See, I don't think God detests or looks down on those with these conditions, but the priests were to be his representation on earth and had to measure up at least closely to God's own flawless condition. All of these restrictions and regulations, and as I see it, the simple fact is, those who serve God are called to a higher standard and pay a high price for service, sometimes a personal price. Aaron couldn't even mourn, let alone touch his dead children. Now on to chapter 22, the last chapter on priests, verse 1 and 2. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Aaron and his sons to be careful with the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so as not to profane my holy name. I am the Lord. So next lesson, we're going to get into the idea of clean and unclean and what exactly that means. How one becomes clean or unclean. So we're going to have to table those ideas for now. But here in no shortage of words, it basically says, do not approach these holy gifts while unclean. Then we're given some additional outlines on who can and cannot eat the holy gifts. And as if we weren't told enough, we're given further instructions on animals being sacrificed and their requisite flawless condition, and actually some exceptions as well. We see things like chapter 22, 22 through 25. Those that are blind or fractured or maimed or have running sore or eczema or scabs shall not offer to the Lord, nor make them an offering by fire to the, Lord, the altar on the Lord. The altar to the Lord, excuse me. In respect to an ox or a lamb which has an overgrown or stunted member, you may present it for a freewill offering, but for a vow it will not be accepted. Also anything with its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to the Lord or sacrifice in your land. Nor shall you accept any such sacrifice from the hand of a foreigner for an offering of food of your God. For their corruption is on them and they have a defect. They shall not be accepted for you. Then we get a few other rules and outlines for when and what animals can and cannot be sacrificed. Things like chapter 22, verse 27. When an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother. And from the eighth day on, it shall be accepted as a sacrifice, an offering by fire to the Lord. So to cycle back to the beginning, I posed a question. Basically, why would the Israelites, let alone us today, need or care to have access to this information? 
So I think there's a reason why we don't have a priest's Torah and a people's Torah or a minister's Bible and a congregation's Bible. I think this point could be made for the book of Leviticus as a whole, but the priestly service, the outlines for atonement, the rituals, the purity laws, all of it were not meant to be kept a secret from the common people by the religious officials. To maybe put it in a more American terms, we're meant to have kind of a checks and balance system. All, so everybody was to be allowed access to God's word all the way down to the tiniest detail. So here's what it says. Here's some of what it means. But I think that question is still hanging there. Why do we need to know this? And for that, I'm going to pass things on to Eddie. So I had two thoughts as Ryan was talking. First of all, some of you are probably going, oh my goodness, that's in the Bible? And you're going to read that? You haven't even seen anything yet. Keep reading in Leviticus. Come back. And two or three weeks, we've got one that your eyes are really going to be open for. And then the other thought that I had is, how do I follow that? That was fantastic, Ryan. Thank you so much. Um, Last week, as, as, as Ryan took us to the Old Testament rituals in Leviticus, we, we saw how in Hebrews chapter 10, that's my job is trying to figure out what does it say to bring it into the New Testament and show you that parallel. And so there in Hebrews chapter 10, we, we read how all of these ritual sacrifices that we looked at last week, they were pointing the way and preparing the way for the sacrifice of Jesus. And we saw how Jesus is a, a fulfillment of all of these ritual sacrifices. And so when we're reading in Leviticus in chapters 1 through 7, these sacrificial uh, rituals and these ritual holidays, we're to see Jesus. We're to see it's a reflection, it's a picture of who Jesus is. But now again, as we as we work our way into this second section that's moving inward in Leviticus on, on the priesthood, again, we are to see a picture once again, a reflection of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 10, he says that Jesus is the priest who offered for all time one sacrifice, saying, what you see there in Leviticus, that's Jesus. Jesus is a fulfillment of that. It was pointing towards him. He is our priest, or in the, in the language of the uh, book of Hebrews, he's our great or greater high priest. And so we are to see here a, a picture of Christ and what he's done for us, that not only is Jesus, listen, our, our sacrifice, as we saw last week, but he is our, our priest. He is our offerer and our offering. And when you consider that in light of what Ryan shared with us last week, that Jesus is our priest and our sacrifice, it's kind of amazing to consider. You look at the story of how you would bring to the, um, to the temple or to the tabernacle at this point. You're offering your animal and you bring it to the priest and now the next thing that's to happen is the, 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 the throat of the, of the animal is to be cut, is to be slit open. Blood is to gush out. They're to skin the, the animal. They're to take out its innards and parts of the animal are to be eaten. Parts of the animal are to be, um, are to be burned on the altar. And some of the blood is to be sprinkled in these various places. And you can imagine knowing that in that moment as you brought your animal to the tabernacle, to the priest, what would it be like if the priest said before everything got started, you know what, you know what, I... Instead of us offering this animal sacrifice, I, I'm going to offer myself instead for you. I want my throat to be slit. 
I want to be scanned. I want you to pull out my intestines and I want you to burn some of my body on the altar. I want some of my body to be eaten and I want my blood to be sprinkled in the necessary places. I want to be not only your priest, but I want to be your sacrifice. And I want to do this for you. <laughs> that, would be, that would be shocking. But when you read Hebrews chapter 10, the writer there is telling us, that's Jesus. That's a picture of what Christ did for us. Not only as our offerer, our priest, but also our sacrifice. But, when you're, when you're looking at this picture of, of, of these priests in the Old Testament, the intention is not just to see a picture of Jesus, but as you read further in, in the New Testament, and specifically in Hebrews 10, you see that it's showing us a picture of who we are as followers of Jesus, which is described in the New Testament. As we look to the New Testament to find what does this mean? What's a, further, what's a fulfillment of all that we're reading here? In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, oh, John has this beautiful vision. And in this vision, he sees us, God's people, redeemed by the blood of Christ. And it says there that we have been made to be priests to serve our God. You see similar language to that, which was read by many and Doug today. Thank you so much for that reading. Your life groups, I have this to look at today as well. And to unpack further, Peter tells us that by our faith in Jesus Christ, we are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says we are a royal, you are a royal priesthood. Because of Christ's work, both as our priest and our sacrifice, he has made us to be priests. And that identity that we've been given, it, it defines and it drives how we live our lives in very practical ways. So you just got to imagine this being preached and this being read about and talked about in the first century where these Jewish people who knew what Ryan was talking about and they knew these regulations and they knew all these instructions and they knew this incredible privilege that was granted only to the Old Testament priest and now to hear that that privilege is granted to us all. This aspect of the, of the priesthood of believers, perhaps if you know religious history, it's, it was one of those foundational pillars of the, what we know of in, in, the, in, in, in Europe as the, the Great Reformation Movement. It was a spiritual awakening in Europe that just kind of flooded throughout the world in the, in the 15th and the 16th century. And one of, one of those key reformers, Martin Luther, he wrote these words. This word priest, he said, should become as common as the word Christian. And when Luther referred to the priesthood of all believers, I love the way he wrote this. He maintained that the plowboy and the milkmaid could do priestly work because, in fact, their plowing and their milking, it was priestly work. He suggested, and it's biblical, I believe, that there is no hierarchy where the priesthood was a special religious vocation and the milking of the cow was not, that both instead were tasks that God had called his followers to do, each according to his gifts. And so the same is true for us today. And so when you go into the New Testament and you're, you're reading about 
what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you're thinking, wow, that sure sounds a lot like what Ryan was talking about. You're hearing a lot of the Old Testament language of descriptions of followers of Jesus, but are descriptions of, of priests in the sanctuary of God because that's who we are. And so I'll give you just a few verses. Let's go to the next slide. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that as holy priest in God's sanctuary, I love this verse. I, I believe Eric mentioned it earlier. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have direct access to God. Along those lines in First Timothy chapter 2, he tells us that, that as we have direct access to God, it's there in the throne room of God. We, as God's holy people, stand before his holy throne and we are described as, as intercessors. We have the privilege of offering up to God prayers on behalf of others. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2 in this beautiful description of his holy priesthood that our role is to declare the praises of God. Our role is to be, to be set apart. That's what holy means. It means to be different. And there he calls us to, to let go of, to abstain from all the sinful ways and the worldly ways and to draw near into God and to display God's glory not only in the words that we speak but in the manner of our lives. Like the Old Testament priest, our role is to represent God to the people and the people to God. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And of course, you know the, the passage in 1 Peter 2 as he speaks of this, this royal priesthood that we offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Not goats and bulls and rams, but instead he says, for example, in Hebrews 13, 15, that we offer sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, which we continually offer up to God. Philippians chapter 2 and chapter 4 speak of our sacrifices that we offer up to God is our lives of service to God and our lives of service to others. And in chapter 4, he says those financial offerings that you give, he says those are your offerings, those are your sacrifices, those are your fragrant offerings, acceptable sacrifices, pleasing to God. And then there's the classic verse in Romans chapter 12. Most of us know this. There he says, we read, we read that in view of God's mercies, in view of all that Jesus, our priest, and our sacrifice has done for us, we are called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices every day. And I love, I love the, the description in, in, in those ritual sacrifices in the first part of Leviticus. It says you place that offering on the burnt altar, and as it, and as it burns, the smoke of that offering rises to God as a pleasing aroma. Every morning, Karen and I in our prayer time, we, we close our prayers with the same words, not vain repetition, but these are words we offer up to God. We say, Lord, today we offer up to you our lives as living sacrifices. May all that we think, may all that we say, may all that we do be today unto you a pleasing aroma. Thinking of ourselves like that as his holy priest offering our lives as his sacrifices in his holy sanctuary it it influences how we speak to people and how we live our lives 
And so my job is to answer the question, how is the book of Leviticus, especially all this stuff about the priest in Leviticus, how is that How is that relevant to my life? What does it mean for me? It's clear that God wants us to see in these descriptions that Ryan has shared with us, that's you. That's me. That's what we have been made to be. And that's what we have been called to do and to let that influence our lives in every aspect. So let me ask you, how would your life be different if you thought of yourself like this? How would your life be different if you considered yourself God's holy dwelling place? God's royal holy priest. Clothed not in the clothes that you saw Ryan wearing on that picture, but clothed in Christ. How would your life be different if every morning you started each day in prayer with these words? I offer you today a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving for the identity you have given me through the work of Jesus Christ to be a priest in your holy sanctuary. Father, I offer my life in service to you and to others. I offer my life to intercede in prayer for others. Father, I lift up my life to you that I may declare your praises to the world, to represent you to others by my words and by my actions. Lord, today I give my life fully to you that I may be set apart unto you. And thus be separate from the sinful desires and ways of this world. Lord, I place my life today on the altar as a living sacrifice. May all that I think, may all that I say and do in the places I go and the people I'm with be a pleasing aroma to you. I've provided actually that prayer written out. It's in your bulletins. I would challenge you. Pray that prayer this morning, every day. I think it'll change you. I think it'll change your world. And so let's pray that prayer together now. Would you stand with me? Father, may we grasp the privilege and the honor that is ours to stand right here on holy ground in your presence, and to know that we are holy ground as your people. May we grasp the honor and privilege that is ours to be priest of yours. And so, Lord, to start out this week, I pray on behalf of all of us here who proclaim you as Lord and Savior, we offer you today a sacrifice of praise for this incredible identity you've given us to the work of Jesus Christ that we may be priests in your holy sanctuary. Father, we, we lift up to you, not a goat, not a sheep, not a dove, but our lives in service to you and to others. Father, we offer up our lives to you to come into your throne, throne room, and to intercede for others in prayer. Father, we lift up our lives that by our words and by our deeds that we may declare your praises to the world, that we may represent you to the world. Father, we give our lives fully to you that we may be set apart and not like the world around us. We place our lives today on the altar as a living sacrifice. May all that we think, may all that we say, may all that we do in the places we go and the people we are with, oh Lord, May it be a pleasing aroma to you.
This is our prayer. And as we continue now further into prayer, I wanted to remind you of the passage where it says we can approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. So we want to just go in this time of prayer and, and let's be intercessors. Let's go and pray for one another. Or maybe there's something you have in your heart. You need somebody to pray for yourself. Our shepherds are here for you. Let's go into this time of prayer now as we offer this song to God. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.